0: I was sitting there just uh, thinking as we're worshiping, it's it's just an awesome thing to come to church on Sundays. I don't know what day of the week is your favorite day of the week, but mine is Sunday. And I, don't, I hope it's not just because I'm a pastor, but I hope it's just because I, there's this love of God that we have and love of fellowship with believers, love of worshiping God and love of focusing on His Word. So I uh, appreciate you guys being here with me today and enjoying this time that we have every Sunday morning. And some of you I know very well, some of you I'm getting to know, and some of you are visiting for the first time. So I appreciate you guys being here today and worshiping God with us. We're in a bit of a series right now and it's dealing with uh, kind of the seven seven vital, seven major questions that are commonly asked amongst humanity and, and in our culture today. And last week we dealt with what is the meaning of life? Is there a meaning in life? Is there a purpose to life? And we use the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have not gotten a chance to read through that book, it is a wonderful, wonderful book. But It can look like it is very dark if you don't read the whole book through. But the book deals with the fact that if you're looking for your overall purpose only under the sun, only for reasons here work, relationships, family, whatever it is, money, finances, bigger car, bigger house, then you're never going to find meaning. You're never going to find purpose. And in the end, your life is, feels meaningless. And every day you wake up and there's this sense of meaninglessness that you do it again the next day and the sun goes down and repeat, do it again the next day. And there's this overall feeling of uselessness in your life that you can't overcome, no matter how big of a house, how big of a car, no matter how much money you get or whatever you do in this life, it always feels meaningless. And at the end of that book, uh, Solomon, who we believe is the author, says, the sum of the matter is this, to fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. And that truly is it. If there, God has created us for a purpose. He is our divine, ultimate, supreme authority. He has made us. And there's this healthy respect of him as our creator, as our ultimate authority, as the one that will judge us, that our purpose is is bound in that, to to obey his commands that he has given us. We looked at Deuteronomy 6, 5 as well, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, right? That we're supposed to love him with everything that is in us, and that is our purpose. But if people, if hum- humans, you and I, go through life looking for purpose here, not upwards, but here, downwards on earth, we never find that meaning. So anyway, that was a fun message to preach. you've not gotten a chance to, to think of those things, to dwell on those things, if you're visiting this week or missed last week, feel free to look that up on our podcast, on our web. But today we're going to be looking at the fact of uh, the question, Is there a God? is the next one in this series. Is there a God? And as we ponder that for a moment, hopefully you already know the answer to that, but we're going to look at some different things this morning and look at, our culture and look at some a couple of famous people and what they have to say about that as well as we're going to be getting into god's word but let me read this for you in 1916 albert einstein made a discovery that he did not like it was his theory of general relativity this meant that the universe had a beginning and was not eternal Einstein found this discovery irritating, he said. He wanted the universe to be self-existent and not reliant on any outside cause. But the universe appeared to be one big effect, as if something had caused or one could say created it. He disliked his findings so much that he changed his findings to dispel his very own theory of general relativity. However, in 1919, four years later... And then in 1922, other top cosmologists and mathematicians proved that Einstein's original theory was actually correct. The cosmologist that proved Einstein's theory of general relativity, Arthur Eddington, later wrote, philosophically, the notion of a beginning of the present order of nature is repugnant to me. I should like to find a genuine loophole. Stay with me on this. In 1927, the expanding of the universe was observed by an astronomer, Edwin Hubble. This super powerful telescope showed a red shift in the light from another galaxy. To an average person, this meant nothing. But to all astronomers, this clearly meant that the universe was definitely expanding, which meant that it had to have a start. Finally, in 1927, Einstein got the courage to look through this telescope for the first time himself. Following this, he finally admitted that his greatest denial, the denial of the theory of general relativity, was his greatest blunder in life. He then redirected his efforts to know how God created the world. Now, I know there's a little bit of technical jargon in this, but why was Einstein, why was this other famous cosmologist upset as they found out that this theory, the general of general relativity, was actually true, it goes back to the to what they thought, what they hoped that the universe itself, all that we know, is eternal, that it has always been. So the atheists at that time could have a choice. You now Christians believe that God is eternal, that's good for them, but as atheists believe that the universe is eternal, so you see they had these the two that they could choose from and they you know Christians believe in faith and that God is eternal but we know as scientists as astronomers and as cosmologists that the universe is actually eternal but through their studies the opposite ended up happening they actually proved Einstein himself proved these others through the Hubble telescope and all this proved that the universe was actually not eternal so this had huge implications now There was no eternity in the universe itself. That meant that something, someone else more powerful than the universe actually caused the universe to happen. This is why Einstein says he changed everything now to not looking at the fact any longer. of Is the universe eternal? He knew it was not. But he looked to see how, if we could find out how, God did indeed create the world. Now, And there's a little bit of a philosophical argument that we use. I'm going to throw it on the board here. It's called the cosmological argument. A couple of big words in this series today and a couple of a little bit of technical jargon. But we are dealing with, is there a God? And we are going to use not science to prove that there is a God, but we are going to use some science to prove that the universe is not eternal, that everything in all creation points to someone who is eternal, though. But, for instance, we have this philosophical argument, the cosmological argument. The first premise starts off like this. Everything that had a beginning had a cause. All right? Kind of focus on that for a moment. It makes sense. If something had a beginning, uh, it must have had a cause. And you could put any object or name in here. Number two, the universe had a beginning. So I could put Trey in there. I could say Trey had a beginning. Therefore, Trey had a cause, or a tree, or a rock, or whatever we can think of. But here we use this argument. It's good to make note of this if you're ever in a discussion or in a debate. Everything that had a beginning must have a cause. That's factual. Uh, the universe definitely did have a beginning, we find out now. And the universe then, uh, it had the, therefore the universe had a cause. So today we're looking at what is that cause? What could have caused all of this to be? What could have caused over 50 billion stars to be out there somewhere? What could have caused this planet, the life that is on it, and all the details that are here? So what can cause something like this? Um, Let's look to Genesis 1-1. I believe we will find our answer there today. But Genesis 1-1 is said to be one of the most loved scriptures by many, but also one of the most hated scriptures passages as well, depending on who you are. But Genesis 1-1, I know my four-year-old was memorizing it this week. He had it down, and while I began to discuss a little bit of this at home, he chimed right in. It's a verse that most of us have memorized at some point. Uh, very simple, very easy to memorize. But Genesis 1-1, and we'll spend some time in Genesis 1-1 in a moment, and we we'll to just read the first portion, first verse, as we begin. In the beginning, God created The heavens and the earth. That's it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything is hanging on this point. And to deny this passage is to deny everything that is in the book. And it is to admittedly go through life with uselessness and meaninglessness and no purpose in your life. But to acknowledge that there is a God is going to be the beginning of wisdom. And seeing reality as we should see that reality. So this is loved by those who believe in God. It is hated by those who do not believe in God. Because there are major things that are assumed here and implied. If everything was created by God, then there's something more powerful than us. There's something more powerful than the whole universe. And and if the following of this book is, is true and God has truly revealed himself to humanity, then there is a lot here that we need to know. That this supreme being, this one who had no cause, who simply is, has spoke and created. Yet the Bible says we have sinned against him, right? And that we will face him in judgment one day. So that we we need to be ready for that. But how can we ready ourselves? So God sends his only son to pay for the price of our sin to make that relationship right so that one day we will be able to be in the presence of this holy God, that we will be seen as righteous as well. So the, the, everything hinges on this. So we focus on this verse today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me if give you this one quote today. It's by one of the theologians I like to read. He says this. He says, In explaining the cosmological argument that we looked at earlier, he says, In the realm of our experience, Everything that we know is caused by something chain reacts, something causes something cause and effect. There cannot, however, be an infinite regress of causes you can 't go back forever and ever and ever and keep going back to all the causes for if we were if it were that case, the whole series of causes would never have begun. Therefore, there must be some uncaused caused, an unmoved mover. ...or necessary being. And this is who we call God. Anyone looking honestly at the evidence... ...must reach this conclusion. Theologian Millard Erickson. So his point here is... ...in explaining that cosmological argument... ...is that you can't go back to... ...go back and go back and go back and go back forever. You must reach a point where there is something, someone... ...this one we call God who, is, who has always been who is absolutely eternal, who will always be, who is ultimately and supremely powerful, who creates, who has the power to create within himself. So is there a God? Absolutely there is a God. If there is no God, there could be nothing else. There must be a God. However, people are often told that the belief in God is not logical. Think about that for a moment. Christians often get accused of is Uh, that their belief system is not logical, that they should simply trust in science. And don't ever believe that, by the way. At first it sounds like, oh, wow, all scientific evidence is against Christianity. But that's not true at all. There has been no science to ever disprove that God exists, but people will say such a thing. But it can be narrowed down to a couple of slides I have up here for you. The only choice, really, in life when you look at ultimate origins is to believe that either... Something created something, think about this for a moment, or nothing created something. All right, dwell on that for a moment. We're going to cause your brain to go in some different places that may not have gone in a while. But uh, something created something, all right? So there had to be something, this, this God that we just talked about, the ultimate causer of all things. Or nothing created something. Now, which one of those is more reasonable? Uh, an atheist or someone just secular denying that there is uh, any meaning in life. The Bible is not right. There is no God. Just, just kind of just drifting out there. And when you try to confront them about Christianity, oh, no, no, you guys believe in God. And I don't believe there is a God. What's well, good to, to narrow them down? Well, let's think about that. So you're telling me that that nothing created everything. How much what can you get from nothing? I mean, you get absolutely nothing from nothing, right? Nothing times two is still nothing. Nothing plus nothing is nothing. Nothing minus nothing is nothing. Nothing divided by nothing is still nothing. But this is is ultimately what we come down to. Either we at least admit that there is something that caused all things, everything. This is what Einstein was getting to, that there is some supreme power, some supreme who, who has caused and created everything, or nothing created everything. And nothing can do absolutely, guess what? Nothing. And <laughs> Nothing can do absolutely nothing. So which view is completely illogical? Well, it's not the Christian view. It's actually the other view. Uh, if You're saying that nothing created everything. That's completely illogical. Now, here's a question also to think about. Which view uh, were you actually taught as you grew up? And where did you receive that view at? Were you taught in the public school system back when it could be mentioned that that you could believe that everything was created by God, or have you or my age and down, and more so even the younger generations now that has been outlawed banned? you cannot even mention the three letter word "god" in school, so they 're taught only that nothing created something, and so we have fifty million students enrolled in public schools and in elementary, middle school, high school, and in public colleges around the United States at this time, 50 million, think about this, where God has been removed. Now, it doesn't mean that all the teachers are non-Christians at all. I'm not implying that at all. We have many great, awesome, devout Christians in school systems. But as far as the curriculum that they are required to teach to the students, God is removed from the ultimate origins. So how did things get to be? They don't can't talk about it. They can't deal with it at all. Uh, One teacher I talked to last year said, well, even though we're not officially supposed to talk about it, I kind of before I let them know how scientists and how these books are telling us that we have to teach how they came about, that if they choose to believe in another option, that is fine. But we just can't discuss it in this class. And that's it. Like, that's all that is dealt with on how things actually came into being? So if you think about this for a moment, this is really important. Is there a God? For many of us, it seems like a very basic question. Of course there is a God. But for 50 million students being brought up in the system now, this is radical information. And there's coming a time where where you will be asked these questions, maybe by your own children, and we have to be ready to defend it. Uh, The Big Bang Theory. Is that the answer? Uh, in a recent survey by, at a major college, they went around asking students, Do you believe in God? Is there a God? And 90% of them said no. And when the next question, Why do you not believe in God? they said, because the Big Bang Theory has disproved God. Is that true? Has the Big Bang Theory disproven God? Uh, For those of us that have not been in science in a while, let me give you the quick definition. The Big Bang Theory is a cosmological theory holding that the universe originated approximately 20 billion years ago from the violent explosion of a very small agglomeration of matter of extremely high density and temperature. All right, does this theory do away with God? Well, if you think about it at all, of course, it is just a theory. It is not factual. We can't prove any of it. But even if this is true, that they're, they're saying the universe is expanding, and if you go back far enough, long enough, that eventually it would reach a point where there was something very small, but you still come back to that question of cause and effect, the cosmological argument. Where did that come from, even if this Big Bang Theory is true? If there's a small conglomeration of matter, matter can't be created from nothing, right? Nothing times nothing. Nothing can do nothing. No thing, nothing. So how, where would it have come from? Who would have made this? How can it be? How can it exist? What energy could be at work? There's no energy. There's no matter. There is no mass. There's truly nothing. How can nothing create something? So they think, or those who are saying, well, I don't believe in God. I believe in the Big Bang Theory. Does that solve anything? No, you're still going back to what we put up there earlier, that nothing created everything how could this thing have existed who created this thing Uh, where did the power the energy come to explode this thing Uh, where would the matter have come from nothing times nothing is always nothing every single time so in a book i recently read called it takes more faith to be an atheist it deals with this we as believers we as christians can use faith and our faith is not illogical it, it, we're talking about this today that for everything to be, there has to be an ultimate being, an eternal who, a God, but for the atheists who says they have uh, they don't rely on faith, they rely on science, it's not true at all. They have faith, but their faith is in absolutely nothing. Why would you have faith in absolutely nothing? Nothing can do absolutely nothing, right? So, their faith is in some, I would say something, but I'm going to say nothing, all right? It's in the wrong thing. Our faith is in something, someone who ultimately has the power to create. Um, What is attempted, let me read this, is to have a logical, natural answer, these college students were pointing to, instead of choosing to to believe in God, to all that is, except for the original matter. This, This is ridiculous. How can you start with something referring to the Big Bang when you know that something that something is not eternal? Scientists have proven that they know that it is not eternal, mass is not eternal. How can the story start there so the big bang 's theory starts there, but it will not go further back. One of the most famous atheists that we have on earth today that is uh, teaching it, expounding it, and doing debates everywhere. He says, he, he, we cannot go back further than that. We should not go further than, back, back than that. But when he debates the Christian uh, astronomers and the cre- Christian cosmologists, they always say, but what about that? Go back further. And he hates to talk about it. He hates to think about it. Because like Einstein, it all points to that everything is caused by the supreme who, the supreme power that we call God. All right, let's look at Genesis 1.1. Great passage. As we get to Genesis 1-1, and right before we do, let me just read this. I was just looking at this over this morning and chose to read this. I don't have it on the screen or anything, but as you find Genesis 1-1, hopefully you're still there. But I'm going to read Psalm 102 for you today. As I was reading Genesis, the cross-reference came up, and it's just really good. I'm just going to read Psalm 102, uh, verse 25 through 27, before we get to Genesis. It says this, it says, of old you laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. This is the God that does not have a beginning. No one created God, He is eternal. He is outside of time. He created time. He created mass, created energy. He created everything. And this is who the Bible presents God to be. Let's read through Genesis one one, And I've chosen actually to just to read through the vast majority of this chapter <clears throat> today. And I know it is quite lengthy, but uh, it's a good time to do it as we, we think on who God is and we think of Is there a God? Yes, there is a God. And just what He did and what what He did to create. So we're just going to kind of look this over briefly. It's not going to be an expository sermon on Genesis 1. I'm not going to go into every detail of it, but just hit a few highlights, all right? So let's begin. Genesis 1, starting with verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the the earth was without form. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Now, pause just for a moment here. What we have clearly here is the beginning of everything that we know. Uh, This is the beginning of time. This is the beginning of matter. This is the beginning of creation. It is assumed here, as we should read into the text, that there is someone who existed before the creation, and it is God. And that He chose, beyond our knowing, reasons beyond us to create he did so in what he says must come to be he is all powerful he is supremely powerful he is God and that he simply speaks these things to be and they are because he is God we see here in verse 11 also that life comes from God this is another amazing puzzle that that hurts the mind of scientists and biologists and those that are trying to prove that there is no god not only do they have to get to the fact that that their theory goes back to nothing creating everything which cannot be but also where does life come from how can something ever come alive they have proven we know this years and years and years and years ago hundreds and hundreds of years ago early scientists proved that in order to have life something must be alive and you can't take just matter, just dirt that is not alive and do something to that to make it come alive, to create an animal, to create a plant out of that. So life begets life. And there has to be something alive for there to be anything alive in the world. Just the fact that you are sitting here, just the fact that you're standing, sitting there watching me stand here and talk to you points to life. It points to someone who has life in himself and the ability to give life. Life. And this is what we have here in the book of Genesis. In verse 11, we have this life giver, the one that who is ultimately supremely powerful, the ability to give life. He does so. He creates vegetation. And notice, and we'll pick this up as we go through this chapter, that the, the plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. You'll catch that a lot as we go through the book of Genesis. And again, this is completely dispelling evolution as well because you have plants fully made. There are, all the plants are there. We have vegetable vegetation. We also have fruit-bearing plants, and they each reproduce after their own kind. So already at this point, you have pine trees or you have you have the fruit trees already that there is not one single cell somewhere on this earth that somehow does something, changes something and and comes out and starts dividing and multiplying into every living thing that we have now. That is ridiculous. Evolutionists would have us believe that not only are we related to apes, but we're related to the grass that we mow in our yard. It doesn't make sense. So what we see in the Bible is that God creates He gives life, and He does so at first with the plants. Let's move on. Verse 14. And catch this as we read through. After their own kinds. Animals, plants, reproducing after their own kinds. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Verse 16, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above The earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. Notice as we read this. That plants and animals are created wholly, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H, holy. They're created whole. They are already flying in the air, or they're already swimming in the ocean. And soon we'll see that animals are already walking on earth. And there's nothing in here about the false idea, the false theory that everything came from one, but God creates beings whole. He gives them life and creates them without any process. He creates them complete we find that true with Adam as well, right? He creates Adam fully as a mature man. He creates Eve as well, and so he creates these animals, and they reproduce after their own kind. You do not see elephants giving birth to a monkey, all right? It is after their own kind, and that's what we're seeing here. Pine trees reproduce more pine trees when the seeds fall. If a pine tree seed falls, it does not turn into an apple tree, all right? It is after their own kinds. All this is pointing back to God and how He specially created. And all the details are there, what He has done. Verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the earth, uh, on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We'll pause right there in our reading. But we're getting an idea. Is there a God? Yes, there is a God. And God has given us how things came to be he's given us the information here that all points to him and this is what we see there is no science that disproves anything that we just read we are we are fed often and we hear the word evolution quite often as if it is out there and it's been proven and that's that and we can't even go back to this and believe this anymore and oftentimes this is what our young people are taught as well but it's not true at all to this day even darwin uh when he when he created his idea, just just an idea, really truly a fantasy. You can't even say that it is a theory. It never even made it to that point on the scientific method. It is actually just an idea, just a fantasy, as if you just created something in here and called it a theory. You can't do that, but that's what evolution is. It's just a fantasy, just an idea. But he says, I, I, I lean towards, you know, everything came from one thing, and uh, we'll know if it's true or not 100 years after I'm gone. He said the fossil record will prove or disprove My ideas, uh, true or false, 100 years from now after I'm gone. So we look now over 100 years after Darwin has been gone. We have millions upon millions of fossils now documented all these layers in the earth. We have, and still to this day, we do not have one single, think about this, transitionary fossil of one species turning into another species. There is no half this, half this it does not exist. We've often seen, and I know when I was uh, going through biology and maybe when you were as well, kind of the chain, right? You start with a chimpanzee and then you go up to the next bigger chimpanzee and then he's kind of standing upright. Then you have a hairy guy that looks kind of like your uncle or something and then you have a a more of a modern looking man over here that's nice and groomed and and you have this kind of this chain right of of chimpanzee all the way up to this office guy and he's dressed in a suit something like this but you know what i'm talking about and now even that though we think oh well that's been proven we know that's true this has all been found none of that was ever found in fact that all came about from one artist rendition of of his idea of what he hoped to be the case and it was all based on one little fossilized bone that they found and he said this came from one of our ancestors and created this 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 whole idea that's been in biology books for for many 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 years and it was later over 20 years later they found that 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 fossil that he thought was one of our ancestors was actually just from a pig it was just a tooth from a pig but all this came about it was in our books for so many years, fooling so many ch- children, fooling so many teenagers, fooling us on into adulthood that all this is proven. There's never been one single fossil found that proves evolution. So my point in this is, is don't believe that there's something out there that is valid. Well, this, this Big Bang, this evolution disproves this God. No, there's no science out there that disproves the fact that there is a God. What we are reading here in Genesis one is the true story. And God has given us exactly what has happened and how things came to be. Um, the fact, In fact, there are only two possible beliefs on ultimate origins. We kind of covered this earlier, but I'm going to throw it back up there in a little different way. Either the universe or something outside the universe is eternal. All right, think about that for a moment. You should be able to kind of solve that by this point because of the information we gave you early on. But either the universe or something outside the universe is eternal. This is with a question that every person should be asking. Uh, Either it has always existed and is therefore uncaused, or it had a beginning and was caused by something else. And we know, however, not only philosophically, using like that cosmological argument, but also scientifically now, the evidence is clear that the universe had a beginning. Yes, there is a God. And we had better not live like there is not. Uh, Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'll give you a moment to find your way there. Romans chapter 1. We've been in Romans uh, for several weeks right before this series, of course, looking at Romans 1.16. Beautiful passage. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe and just what that means, what is that gospel, what do we need to believe in, who do we need to be saved from. I I could preach another sermon on that at any moment. I might just do it right now. No, I'm going to wait. But a beautiful passage, uh, just what is that gospel? And we looked at early in Romans 1, 1 through 7, just, just getting our mind wrapped around that beautiful gospel message and the fact that we do need to be saved, we do need to be rescued, and how important that is. But here's what we find. Now, Romans 1.18 is where we'll read from in just a moment. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That there's there's big, big information there. So, so if there is a God, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? That this is not just, just a being that created everything, an ultimate clockmaker and made it and walked away from it, but this God is, is, is revealing himself to us in the general uh, creation that we're going to look at here in Romans 1.18, everything points to God. Everything that we look at here should be pointing outward to God. I walked outside this morning, stars in the sky. It's a bizarre thing to think how small this planet is and all the stars and all the universe that's out there. And, and God created it all so quickly, so easily. It's easy for him to do. He could have hung 10 stars or he could have put up 50 bazillion stars. He could have done whatever he wanted to. But this is how powerful God is. But it all shows how powerful he is. One of my favorite uh, preachers, John Piper, says he likes to not only look at the stars and give God glory for the creation, but he likes to look at something small, like an ant walking around, like like a, a leaf off of a tree, and just admire it for what it is and just realize that God made this and all the details of it and give God glory for it. And, but his point is that all creation points to God. But So, so God is speaking through us, to us through his general revelation of his creation. But also, we're going to look more into this in a, a few weeks, the special revelation. God has revealed himself to his creation, to mankind. He has given us his word. And that this God is not just neutral and lo- allows us to live however we want, but that he is holy that he is righteous, that he is all powerful and demands for us to live perfectly. But as we looked at in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that God demands perfection, but we are not perfect. But this God also reveals that he is loving. He he provides a solution to our problem. He sends uh, God the son to take the sin on himself to pay the price that we could not pray pay to right the relationship to fix the problem. So this God that is created is not just ultimately and supremely powerful, but he is loving. He is caring. He loves these who he has created in his own image. And even though we have sinned, Adam, Eve, remember they were with God, walking with God, but they sinned against God and were cast out of the Garden of Eden. There is punishment for sin. There is the wrath of God for sin that all humanity is under. And the problem, the solution of the, for this problem is found there in the gospel. And we look at that in Romans 16, that we can be saved from this God, by this God, through belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He came, he lived the perfect life, God in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and will be the final judge over all mankind. All right so but back to this general revelation of creation, okay Romans 1:18 18, 18 through20 says this, "For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, look at this eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived or understood ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Look at this. The whole creation is screaming, yelling that there is God. It is so clear that the Bible says, the Word of God here, that there truly are There's no such thing as one atheist. Think about this. He says there are none. People may act like there is no God. They may try to trick themselves into thinking that there is no God. But according to the word of God, everyone knows there is a God. But they suppress that truth. Verse 18, by their unrighteousness, they suppress that truth. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. He's talking about the creation. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world. So that all, just our being, just our life, points to the fact that there is this eternal power. That there is this God. And there, man is without excuse at the end of verse 20. Everyone knows there is a God. We are without an excuse. Everything is pointing to the fact that there is a God. But yet some think they are wise by saying that there is no God. But look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. It is the most foolish thing on earth to act and live and believe as if there is no God when everything is pointing to the fact that there is a God. I have this one on the screen for you. If you're taking notes, you may jot it down. But Psalm 19, 1 through 4. I'm going to read 1 through 3. Says this: The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. It's a beautiful psalm. And look at verse 1 up here on the screen. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky proclaims His handiwork. Day after day, night after night, everything that is, is pointing to the fact that this place, we are, everything here has been created by God. Has God left evidence of Himself in the world today? And the answer is absolutely yes. Just the fact that we are alive, that there is life points to the fact that there is God. The extreme organization of life and of earth and of the system itself points to the fact that there is an intelligent designer. Just the fact that we are points to the fact that there has to be something that has always been, that is eternal. Is there a God? Yes, there absolutely is a God. The Bible lets us know that he is omnipotent, all-powerful, He's omniscient, all-knowing, knowing our thoughts, knowing our actions, knowing our deeds, knowing everything about us, that He is absolutely holy, He is righteous, He is just, and He never changes. And what this means to us is, what about us? Well, you are special. You've been created by God. God knows every detail about you. The Bible says that we are sinners. But through the grace of God, through the great gospel of Jesus Christ, Our sins can be forgiven, and we are made right with this one who has all this power. That is the beautiful message of the Bible. That's the beautiful message of the gospel, that this super powerful one we've sinned against, who he owes us his wrath, we can actually be saved from through the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we worship you. And our minds have been expanded and challenged today as we look over this information, as we think on these, these deep thoughts. Is there a God? For most of us in this room, we fully acknowledge that there is a God. And I pray that there is anyone in here who is not. God, I pray that you would uh, give them grace, give them mercy today. Draw them to you for salvation. May their eyes be opened and, and their ears open to understand, to know that your creation is Everything is screaming, yes, there is a God. This does not come about by accident. Everything that is did not come from nothing, but it came from something. And not just any something, but a God who is all-powerful and yet loving, and yet holy and just and merciful, and who has given us our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can be made right with our Creator, sins forgiven through what Jesus has done on the cross. We worship you and praise your name, Almighty, eternal God. Amen. Let's stand and worship, please. Thank you.